And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. operational and all my circuits are functioning perfectly it lies it lies welcome everybody we are live from the bunker coming to you from deep beneath world headquarters and happy to be here with all of you my name is jason hunt i am the editor here at sci-fi for me and i i almost toyed with the idea i just just for a very brief moment i thought maybe i should get an ai to write the introduction to today's show but i thought nope not gonna do it (laughs) so uh that might that might come back to to haunt me later so anyway hello everybody uh we are talking ai today let me give a shout out to people who are listening to us as a podcast we're in various different podcast platforms we've got listeners all over the world Happy to have all of you with us, and if you are listening to us as a podcast, you should check out the live video every now and again, because sometimes we have visual aids that don't translate well to radio, but that's okay. We also got the Discord server up and running, so you can join us for further conversations, any of these topics that we do, and uh, of course, uh, social media and email, live from the bunker at sci-fi for me.com. I see Cam in the chat. Keeley's there. Sean, a name I have not seen before. Welcome. Uh, Mrs. Boss there. Vince is there. Just lurking today, he says. Death Angel Shadow there with the Discord link. Happy to have all of you there. Let me let me, uh, let me, me just real quick uh, ask if anybody understands. Does anybody know what's going on with IGN? IGN's changed their layout, and this looks terrible. Was, what is what is it? I don't know. We were I was doing research for Saturday morning's program, and this thing popped up. I was like, "Hang on, that's not IGN." Oh, anyway, all right. So today we have got uh, quite a bit to talk about because this thing continues to rear its ugly head. Artificial intelligence. So I got smarter people than I. Uh, here to talk about it. Um, what was that? I heard that. I heard that. Uh-huh. Mrs. Boss over there kibitzing. Uh, authors Sylvia Liu and Serena Strauss. Serena has been on the program before. And David Luxton, uh, all joining today. Uh, welcome, everybody. Hello. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm glad to have everybody back. Now, let me now, S- Sylvia. Well, Sylvia, this is your first uh, time Sylvia, here. Sylvia, this oh. is your first uh, time. Hang on a second. Hang on a second. Where have I got, where have I got an echo here? I got a really bad echo here. Where have I got an echo here? I got a really bad echo here. Where is that? echo here? I got a really bad echo here. Where is that? echo here? I got a really bad echo here. Where is that? Hold on here. We've got a weird. Okay, some. It sounds like somebody has a stream in the background. I don't know. Is that? Is that? Okay, I don't hear it now. (laughs) That's very strange. See, technology, technology, folks. 
This is what we get. Yes, the Stone Martin Weasels are are in the house. Okay, so uh, let me go through here real quick, and uh, everybody establish who you are in your bona fides. Uh, let's start with Sylvia, since you're our, our brand new guest. So welcome to the program. Let's uh, tell people about yourself. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Um, I am a children's author. I write uh, both picture books and middle grade. And my most recent middle grade book was um, Hannah Shoe and the Ghost Crab Nation. It came out last year. And it's um, I basically um, describe it as a cyberpunk for middle grade. But it's um, a story set 30 years in the future. And the premise is that when kids turn 13, they get their brains connected to the multi-web. And uh, the character, Hannah Shu is the main character, and she discovers that there's a corporate conspiracy against, um, you know, her class of kids who are about to get, um, um, it's, you know, jacked or, or meshed into the multi-web. And so um, there's a lot of um, virtual reality in here as well, because she attends a school. And so they, it, it's sort of like, um, so there's, there's a lot of different like genres mixed in because the virtual reality world is, is an uh, ancient fantasy, um, ancient Chinese themed fantasy world. Ah, so so kind of ancient Chinese secret. Are you yeah, there's some not... like she, she basically yeah like has a, a sort of a mentor who's a qigong master who ends ah, up okay. helping. See now there are certain people of an age who are not going to get that joke. <laughs> the ancient Chinese secret is from an old Calgon TV commercial from way back in the day, and I just dated myself. Uh, Sci-Fi Snob asking if we can get links to the guest pages. All of those are in the show notes as well uh, already. Uh, websites and Twitter accounts are both linked there for anybody to uh, to see. Uh, Serena, let's, uh, let's uh, introduce you to everyone here. Yeah, and I'm so happy to be back with you again. I'm Serena Strauss. I came unprepared with my book, but um, I'm a science fiction author. I recently released um, a adult science fiction novel called Reinception that takes place 100 years in the future where we have the technology to eliminate unwanted behaviors. And a little similar theme here to Sylvia's, we have our evil corporation who are doing things that we haven't agreed to once they're in our heads. Um, and I also will have a young adult alien invasion novel coming out sometime, date to be determined, but I'm pretty excited about that. And, and I'll be sure to share that information uh, when I have it. All right, and it's good to have you back on the show. And uh, David, that leaves that leaves you, sir. So let's uh, let's uh, tell everybody about you. Yeah, it's good to be back with you again, Jason. Too. Um, so I'm Dave Luxton. I am a, a licensed clinical psychologist, a professor, and uh, an author, and former military psychologist and an Air Force veteran. Um, my writing is focused. Uh, my my nonfiction is focused on artificial intelligence and ethics and behavioral health and mental health care and um, just general medicine. And uh, my fiction, I've written two novels. One is called Behind the Machine, which is most relevant to the topic today. It's about the use of AI um, to monitor and control the weather and uh, what can happen if that goes wrong, if the people behind uh, the control of it uh, want to use it for their own purposes. And then the second novel is called The Goldilocks Zone, and that one is about um, everything to do with UAPs and... Uh, Mass formation psychosis and uh, very relevant. Both of these books are very relevant to the topics going on today in our world. 
mass formation psychosis. Man, I started hearing about that about, what, six months ago, eight months ago. People started talking about, oh, you're all conspiracy theorists. No, it's mass mass psychosis. It, it, the gas, the amount of gaslighting in the media with all of this stuff, on top of everything else, is just phenomenal. But that's not our topic today. We'll talk about that other time. Today we're talking about Skynet. And I, I, I make I make the joke Skynet emerges as a as the title of this of this show. But this this is something that is being talked about everywhere. I got an email this morning from VentureBeat magazine talking about this stuff. There, there's there's uh, Popular Science is talking about it. Engadget's talking about it. Uh, the National Association of Broadcasters is talking about it. We've got all sorts of people that are looking at this. And David, you and I had talked about this back when the Google engineer came out and said, the Google AI is sentient. And uh, here's this article here from Popular Science saying, no, they're still not, but they can pretend to be. <laughs> like, okay, what's the difference and how can you tell? Uh, but AI is all over the place. We've got all sorts of, of conversations happening now in the in the digital space about chat GPT and and voice uh, re-speecher is now a new thing because Lucasfilm just licensed the voice of James Earl Jones in case they want to do anything new with Darth Vader. They have his voice and they can artificially create uh, new dialogue with James Earl Jones's voice in perpetuity forever, and and there was a big kerfuffle here not too long ago, uh, about a month ago, I guess, where uh, a, a lot of voice actors in the animation industry were sitting there saying that the production companies are trying to get them to sign off on the rights to their voice for AI generated dialogue. So basically, if I if I get your voice and you sign off on on my able my being able to use it then i can create new cartoons with your voice doing that character and i don't have to pay you and it it's I just I just see a slippery slope here because people are talking to me because AI generated art and AI generating you know, of refacing people and de aging and that kind of thing you know face replacement we've got uh, we've got Star Wars putting Mark Hamill's face on a younger person we've got the de aging of Harrison Ford in the new Indiana Jones movie and the stuff that's going on over at Marvel. Now, CG has been a thing for a long while, but now you've got this AI stuff where all I got to do is say, give me a picture of a dragon with a blue egg on a mountain in uh, at night. And it creates all of this stuff, but it's doing it in a way that takes from others. That's that's a big that's a big piece of this is the is the copyright aspects of it is the the stealing of intellectual property that doesn't belong to to you it belongs to the author so sylvia i know you wanted to to touch on that we can we can start there and kind of and kind of circle and work our way through because there's a lot of stuff uh that ai is starting to infiltrate and i use that word deliberately uh and i and i'll and i'll explain why in a minute so sylvia sylvia let me get your thoughts on on where we are in terms of the creative space for ai we'll start with you 
Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I think AI can be a very powerful tool. But on the other hand, I see a lot of, you know, the dangers of it. And from an artistic perspective, you know, AI, what it's been doing is it just, you know, takes the intellectual property, the artistic, you know, um, works, the cumulative years of experience of, you know, thousands of like artists, for instance, and at the press of a button, you can create artwork in the style of X. Um, or similarly, you know, if you have um, a piece of, you know, write me a poem in the style of Edgar Allan Poe or whatever. And um, so it seems to, I, I guess my my idea, my, my inclination is that that's like such a shortcut way of undermining what we think of as art in the first place, right? Because right. the way I think about art is it's something that only an individual, you know, person can make and only you as that individual can make this specific piece. But yet AI is more like a, a uh, like a, a conglomeration, right? It's like the, the lowest common denominator of a lot of different artists work. And so it's not so, so, I mean, I guess that the, the underlying question is, is it art, right? Or is it just something that approximates art, it's pleasing to the eye, and people will pay for it, right? They'll pay for, you know, a piece of art. That's, that's one of the concerns I have. Well, and, and the other aspect of that is, let's say, because uh, we mentioned uh, Christopher Paolini uh, before we got started. His, the, cover to his new art, uh, the cover to his new book is AI-generated art, and that caused some consternation in the publishing world. Um, and there's, there's this concern of, well, okay, well, you have all these artists— lyricist i mean you could get into you know the music you get into the composition of that david you've got you've got music in your background if you've got ai generating the score to the next star wars movie well we don't need john williams we don't need kevin kiner we don't need uh you know michael giacono uh uh, uh giacchino we don't need david luxton doing our music we could just you know we can just get uh we can just get this google ai over here to do it you're eliminating a lot of the creative process, but you're also eliminating a lot of the creators. The way I think of this is that we have crossed a Rubicon. We've gone to a place, a new world. We've walked through a mirror. We're in a different reality now where this is beyond just the arts, right? This is everything that we we know to be true in reality can now be generated and we're going to see more and more of this in the years ahead where what really is real anymore. And I think that the implications certainly for the artistic world and the creative world is that it devalues the art. Um, that's what is created by artists, right? It devalues it. And yeah. so now it's going to be cheaply made and anything can be made. And as Sylvia's point is well made is that all those years of work to be, to gain your artistry, it's moot because now a machine can do it in an instant and do it better. And I think it devalues uh, the human experience and that it potentially, and that we're probably going to see this kind of financial aspect of this, right? So it's going to eliminate your ability to make any money being an artist, which has already been hurt pretty bad anyways in the last several decades, I'd say, but um, even more so. And I think we're going to have a bigger split of there's going to be people on the top, that run the corporations that sort of have control over everything and um, a handful of people that may be able to come up with some business models and ideas around this stuff that's going to generate wealth for themselves. But for everyone else, 
you're basically now out of a job and you'll be just consumers of this stuff. And um, I don't know, for, for me personally, as a musician and as a writer, I have gone through a bit of my own existential crisis over it to a, a phase I'm kind of depressed about it, quite frankly, and realizing because a lot of people out there, they're, oh, look what I created, you know, this art for my new album cover. It's just AI generated. You didn't do anything. Yeah. You just put in a couple of words and boom, there it is. You've done nothing. And therefore, it means nothing to me as the consumer because it does not reflect who you are as the artist. It doesn't reflect um, your own kind of mind's eye and, and your experiences. It's just a machine that created it. Well, and and I would think also not only the financial aspects of it, but the legal aspects. And Serena, you've you've done criminal law, but uh, you've been in that world, you know, where you know the law is X, and we have to we have to interpret it or do things like that where we have to figure out what's allowed, what's not allowed. And this is such frontier territory right now in terms of who owns what, because a lot of people are making excuses for the AI sampling other work. Well, it's not any different from, you know, if I, if I want to learn how to draw superheroes, I can get a bunch of comic books that were drawn by George Perez and I can start tracing and I can start, you know, looking at his work and trying to copy and mimic. And the AI is doing just the same kind of thing. Only it's not really, is it? I mean, it's it's more than that. Yeah, I mean, from so I'm not, you know, an intellectual property lawyer, but I, I think from... A legal perspective, it kind of depends what it is and whether things have been licensed and how they're licensed to be used. Um, but I also, I kind of would predict or see this a little differently. Um, I don't know that my viewpoint is so dire. I, I don't think it's going to go away. I don't think we can stop it. Yeah. Um, we're going to have to deal with it and people are going to have their different feelings about it. But if you take other art forms, for example, uh, like collage, um, that's artists pulling from from other things, like they're pulling, you know, from magazines. They're pulling from other texts, and they're creating something new about it. And if I had to guess, I think we're going to end up with like three different streams. We're, we are going to end up with content that is completely AI generated, and we're going to still have content that is human generated. And I think in the middle are going to be things that are AI generated and manipulated by humans. And we see that already in, in the legal world. So people have been predicting in the legal world for quite some time now that contract work is, is um, you know, is going to be generated and lawyers are going to be replaced in terms of creating contracts. But it, but it hasn't happened because you can't replace the need for human interaction. You can't replace the desire for people to have things customize or to say what they want to say. So the computer is a launch point. It might, you know, you can input stuff and say, I want this clause and that clause, but you still need that kind of human intervention yeah. to create what, in, you know, in this case, your your client or the user wants the experience to be. And I, I think we're headed that way in some ways. Uh, you know, there's, there's also talk on the economic side about, um, things like audiobooks being more affordable to somebody who self-publishes or something like that. But I, I don't know that the nuance or emotion is going to be there for the things that are, you know, really high quality and really engaging without without a human touch, yeah. or at least not really soon. 
So, I, you know, I think it's going to be a combination of things that we're going to see in the future. Yeah. Well, Sean, Sean makes a point in the chat. Uh, when a human studies another artist, they inject themselves into it, which is why what they produce isn't the same. AI has no self to inject. It's just a copy of others' work and styles. And if you look back at, the, at what they've been doing with ChatGPT, for example, and you have the regular ChatGPT, and now you have... Dan, the jailbreak version of ChatGPT, which is basically, hey, uh, AI chat thing, now you're going to act like a, a regular person. You can do what D-A-N, Dan, means do anything now. And they give ChatGPT a completely new set of parameters on how to behave. And it completely changes the nature of the interaction with the, with the AI. And I'm sitting here thinking, okay, well, it's garbage in, garbage out, for one. You know, the AI is only as good as the biases of the people who, who program it. And it, has, it, it. It can't be any other way. You know, even if it's machine learning and it learns new things that don't get programmed into it from a human, you're still looking at the beginning, the foundation of the thing being X dependent on whoever put it together. And now you have this this new version of, uh, of, of chat GPT which is completely different. And, and I, I saw you know various different experiments on, you know, uh, give me, for example, give me a give me a poem about Donald Trump, and and ChatGPT said they couldn't do it. But give me a poem about Joe Biden, and it gives a twelve stanza sonnet about how great he is. I mean, there's automatically bias into all of this stuff, and then you've got Google and Microsoft both racing to the bottom to try to get this thing out there, tying AN with search results and Bing. Who's to say that those search results are not going to be biased? Because they have been. It's been documented that Google search results are biased. You know, any, any, you know, Bing search results are probably biased. How do we how do we get to the point, or do we get to the point where we're where we even can trust the AI? Yeah, and I'd actually add, in addition to the point of, you know, it's only as good as the what what it's, you know, being trained on. Um, there's a really good book called You Look Like a Thing and I Love You by Janelle Shane, where she just explains how AI works. And one of the things she um, has explained is that actually AI likes to take shortcut. Machine learning likes to take shortcut. So the example she gave is that, you know, when they were training um, a, a, an AI to identify sheep, it started pulling up um, images of fields because every sheep that it found was in a field. So it started looking at the wrong thing in the photos, you know, <laughs> same thing with like identifying a certain kind of fish. Well, all the images of the fish were of a fisherman holding it on a boat. Mm -hmm. And so it started to look at boat pictures, you know, instead of, you know, being able to identify the fish in the wild. So there are just, there's limits to, you know, how machine learning and AI work that they don't work in the same way as human brains do because we know, okay, that's a sheep, you know, yeah. versus other. So there's a lot of areas in which these inaccuracies can, you know, get put in. 
Well, and you've got this this article here from The Guardian. Google and Microsoft are in an AI arms race. Who wins could change how we use the Internet. It's And it's, it's that kind of perception thing like you're talking about, Sylvia, because we already know, especially with social media, we already know that the algorithms work against us, work to manipulate us, because based on what you like, based on what you share, based on what you comment on, that changes the algorithm uh, specific to you. <coughs> and if we get this, these AIs that start getting into this, uh, it, could, it could change how we interact with the Internet because of what the Internet is showing us. Is there a, is there a danger there? Well, I, I think to to your earlier point about it's only as good as as the programmers or the people who are making the decision. It's also only as good as the person doing the search. So w people tend to look for things, you know, that support their arguments or that are within their political framework. And I think it's just, it's it's just going to exacerbate something that's already happening where we're looking for we're looking for answers that agree with us in a way. And unless you're, you know, specifically looking to learn the other side or to understand it, you're basically going to be programming your own feedback to, to give you what you want to hear. And that might not be true. It might not be accurate. It's certainly not going to be balanced just like what we have now. And I, I think what adds to it is, is it, it does feel more human. It does feel more personal. So maybe people who are already susceptible to believing what they read are going to be more susceptible to thinking, well, this this must be true because I, I feel like somebody's talking to me and they're speaking my language. Mm. Well, and you've also got uh, people who are just going to let the AI do things for them. Uh, we got this this. Uh, Broke this morning, Spotify launches DJ, a new feature offering personalized music with AI-powered commentary. So instead of you deciding what playlist you're going to do next, you you just let the AI make your decisions and choices for you. And you your your decision making process is shortcut now, is you know, we'll we'll just let the AI do it. And the AI is going to feed you stuff. And it might be based on your selections and your preferences, but who's to say that eventually it doesn't start feeding you a couple of other things that may not necessarily be in your in your wheelhouse, but over time we gradually reprogram you, and not necessarily in the music that you listen to, but let's start feeding you other things that are not necessarily what you would select but we're going to start gradually kind of pushing you into a different mode of thought with with what the AI curates. Is that is that a risk? Is that a possibility? Because if I just let the AI just send me whatever, you know, everybody talks about social media, you know, uh, uh, radicalizing us or whatnot one way or the other. Well, who's to say some of that stuff isn't so subtle that we don't uh, that we don't realize that it's happening? Yeah, I mean, I do think it's happening with social media, right? Because um, people have found that people engage more with content that is either makes them angry or is controversial, right? And so the algorithms say, oh, this is a very popular content. Let's just keep feeding you this style of content on, you know, both sides, right? Yeah. So you get a very polarized, you know, view versus, you know, the algorithm isn't feeding people like, oh, this is a very nuanced, you know, look at this 
issue, you know? There's a reason why I called my novel Behind the Machine. And the idea is that, okay, there's a machine, there's AI, but what's behind it, right? Who, who's controlling it? Who's who's feeding it the information? Who's, con- who's making it do? Uh, whose bidding is it doing, right? And I think we have to look at all of this stuff that is being deployed by these companies as, well, who's doing the bidding here? And that's important. Uh, these systems are not natural in the sense that they're just created and they're just going to learn on their own and they're just going to do what's, um, well, what, what they want to do as the machine decides or what you want to do as the consumer of it or the company that's, you know, facilitating or the government that's behind it or whatever. And yeah. we have certainly seen that in, you know, the Twitter files, right? I mean, it's it's not um, just people freely communicating on a, on a blog site, right? It's being controlled and manipulated or was being controlled and manipulated. So that's to me the issue here with any of these things is that to your point, Jason, it's like, okay, Spotify is now going to do all this stuff. It's going to steer you in directions. Well, who's actually steering you? Is it the AI or is it just the company not realizing that they can make more money if they push certain things, they can get more from advertising and so forth by pushing certain things and then excluding others. Right. And therefore it, it's not free. It's not um, natural. Um, I think the solution here to a lot of this, these issues gets on the ethics side and, it has, to me, everything to do with transparency. And I think that is probably a core part of the, the answer to a lot of the problems is transparency. And it's, we need to understand, the public needs to understand how these systems work. If they're the black box, as they call it, then uh, we don't know how they work. And they're they're doing things that are manipulating us and we may not know that they are, or we know that they're manipulating us, but not quite sure how. But I think if we're very transparent about who is behind the machine, uh, who's controlling it and how it's working, then I certainly would feel more empowered as a consumer that uh, I have some control over uh, what's what's happening to me and what, what experience that I'm being put through, where my consciousness is going by using whatever product it is. Yeah. Well, and Sean mentions in the chat, you talk about you know manipulating and who's behind it and who's fe- who's actually feeding if you're doing research for a for a pa- uh, for a paper or something or if you're a journalist or you're you're researching a particular topic um or or you know Sam Harris has come out lately because he he's lost his popularity but he's blaming it on this idea this conspiracy notion that people are now able to look into things for themselves and that apparently is a bad thing for Sam Harris. I don't know why he, he thinks that. But let's say I don't know anything about the East Palestine train derailment, for example, right? I'm going to go look it up on the Internet and t- to find out the information about what's going on there because I'm hearing all sorts of stuff about it. Well, if I go to Bing and Bing's got this uh, Microsoft, this chatbot AI that's attached to Bing, Who's to say that Bing doesn't feed me search results that are skewed in a particular direction so the information that I get is clear is is in a particular side of things and I don't get the truth quote unquote I get a narrative what's and and you're right the tr- the transparency part of it is is key because if I don't know who's telling me this stuff how do I know it's reliable? I agree that transparency is key and that ethics, um, ethical concerns underlie this. 
we already get fed narratives um, and the narratives we get fed depend on where we're looking for information. So I think another piece of the solution is, is education, having conversations like we're having now, making people cognizant of the fact that they are getting a narrative and there usually is another side to the story. And I think if we do a better job of talking to people about questioning their resources, looking at other opinions, um, questioning what they're reading, we're going to have, you know, a more balanced society to begin with. Things will, and, and if people are demanding that, that's what they'll start to get because we're going to get what we ask for because that's what, that's what earns money. So, uh, you know, I, I think conversations like this are really important in helping people understand why why the information they get is skewed and how they can find more balanced information, what are sources that can be authenticated or that might be more objective. That will help because these things aren't going away. They're going to continue to develop. So we kind of have to learn to deal with the world that we're going to be living in. Well, and it's funny you bring that up because, you know, there's there's the question of the authentication and the fact checking and and the reliability on that side of things, too, because here's here's this article. Uh, Microsoft and OpenAI vow to implement safeguards to address misinformation. Well, who decides what the misinformation is? Who decides how to put that label on? Because we see from the Twitter files <clears throat> and all of the stuff that's come out there, all of that was manipulated. You had the government interfering with well, people's uh, ability to put out opinions and put out information and share links, whether it was news articles or research papers or, or peer-reviewed journal entries, you know, all of these different things. Well, the government sits there and says, we don't like that. Take it down. So the fact checking, I mean, Snopes is a couple of people on a couch in a in a living room in Seattle or someplace. I mean, where where do we how do we fact check the fact checkers? How do we know that there, there's reliability on that side of things when, you know, it's it's trust me, bro. OK, who are your sources? Well, I got I got sources. How do we know? You know, yes, Microsoft can sit there and say, uh, we're gonna we're going to avoid misinformation. Well, that label misinformation gets slung around a lot, and you know here we are three years into a into a pandemic, and the stuff that's coming out now is stuff that you could have been banned from social media two years ago. Yeah, I mean, one thing I would just say in adding to what Serena says is, you know, we all need to like educate ourselves, but. It needs to go back to when, you know, teaching kids media literacy, like from the beginning and not relying on social media of any kind for news. Right. right. I mean, Twitter and Facebook and TikTok. Well, now kids go to TikTok to find out the latest news. And, it, you know, we need to figure out, well, let's go back to, you know, I guess more basic principles. You do need to figure out, well, like you, you need to see, well, who am I reading? Reading, you know, who is this reporter? What is their affiliation? What is their, you know, research methods? Who have they talked to? And, you know, I guess you have to be a more active, you know, reader of news, I guess. Yeah, this might be pretty basic, but, uh, you know, when when your kids and, you know, you and your sibling get into a fight and your parents are like, okay, you tell me what happened. Now you tell me what happened. And you get two different stories. And the truth is usually somewhere in the middle, right? I think that's, you know, on a really simplistic level, not really different. If you're reading news that's skewed one way, 
read news that's skewed another way, like understand both sides of that skewed opinion. And the truth is usually somewhere in the middle. And I, I think if you, you know, use your judgment and your common sense a little bit, you can start to understand at least what information you're getting that is biased and and start to look for resources that have more balance and more biased and and to Sylvia's point that that give you the sources they're not just like regurgitating information or just giving opinion based on their opinion but what you know what are my sources where did my information come from you know if it's scientific where's the study data how was it validated so there, there, there are ways to judge a lot of information. And I think there are ways for us to just be like smarter and more suspicious of what we're being told, um, you know, and assume that if all you're hearing is something that's very skewed to one side of the argument or the other, you're probably not getting the whole truth. Oh. All right. And that raises a question that I want to ask you when we get back. We're going to take a real quick break. When we get back, we'll continue this conversation about AI, Skynet's right after this. Don't go anywhere. Broadcasting from a device built by a teenage genius using leftover parts from an erector set. This is Sci-Fi For Me Radio. I find it difficult to get excited about it. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it's my natural cynicism or my 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 pessimism it, tempered my, with uh, my, uh, 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 a, a dash of uh, I, I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm jaded at this point. Perhaps. I, the H2O Podcast, only on Sci-Fi For Me TV. Good morning, Multiverse. Saturday morning at 11, 10 Central, only on Sci-Fi For Me TV. Back live from the bunker, Jason Hunt here, along with my guests, Sylvia Liu, David Luxton, and Serena Strauss, talking about artificial intelligence um, and truth. Let's let's talk for a second about truth. Serena, you bring this up, and and we talk about fact checking. We talk about you know learning uh, to you know, do some critical thinking. <clears throat> One of the things that strikes me in this day and age of social media and everything sound bites and likes and engagement and and that sort of thing is a lack of appreciation for what is truth because every we hear my truth my lived experience all these different things everything everything is subjective anymore there's there seems to be a a, a lack of objective truth, at least an understanding of objective truth. And one of the things that I learned growing up in the church, for example, is there is a need for discernment of truth. You have to be uh, you have to be willing to study scripture in in that particular case in order to understand the truth of what's being taught. And you have all of these media outlets, all of these bloggers, all of these Substack writers, all of these journalists, and all these opinion people. Everybody has got their perception of the truth. And like you said, Serena, everybody's got biases. And if I'm reading an article and I don't like what it says because of my particular bias, and I don't agree with this, how do we even get to the point where we can decide, okay, this is a fact, this is not what I think about the fact. 
This is a fact. And if you've got the AI that's skewed because of the perception of fact, how does any of it become uh, objective? You know, here's National Association of Broadcasters. Everything is fake. You know, the, the media is now faced with this question because nobody trusts the media anymore. And now you can come up with, you know, face replacement and, and speech generation. And I can make anybody say anything if I've got the technology. And now suddenly it becomes, you know, headline news that Bill Gates says he wants to, you know, drop a nuke on Moscow. When he never said that, but I, you know, if, I, if I've got the technology to do it, I can do it. How do, we, how do we get around, how do we avoid any of that? I, I mean, I think it's, it's really complicated, and it's always been the case that people can feed us misinformation and people can feed us lies. Um, I, you know, I, I think that some things are, you know, are factual and, you know, you can manipulate the information, you can lie about the information. But, for example, if, if you're doing a scientific study and you have your, you know, double-blind placebo-controlled study, the data is the data. Now, how that data gets manipulated, whether you're told the truth about it, um, that's a different question. But the underlying information is the underlying information. Um, and I, I think when you're talking about things that are, are harder to judge, again, a lot of it is about what we what we do ourselves, what we teach our children. Like when I was in law school, I used to do these things called moot court competitions. And you basically do a fake case and you go up in front of a judge and part of the competition was you had to argue both sides of the case. And you had to have underlying information to support your argument. And it really forces you to say, you know, you, you go into it believing one side more than the other naturally, that's your inclination. But then you have to argue the other side and you have to understand the facts and you have to argue it persuasively. And I, I think that's what we have to do. Now, if you're talking about a, a generated voice being manipulated to lie about some what something somebody said, you know, uh, hopefully you have the technology to to prove that it was false. And then also, hopefully, you have the intelligence and the ability to step back and say, is, is this in line with something this person would do in the first place? Is it in keeping with something they would say? Would they, you know, even if it might be something they believe, would they be? so reckless as to damage their career by saying it out loud. I don't know. I think, you know, as the technology gets better, it's going to be harder and harder to discern what's real and what isn't. Um, but hopefully, in most cases, we can use our common sense and our judgment to to try to get at the truth. Uh, you said you said something there. You used a couple of words there, Serena. Common sense. Um, I, I don't know that a lot of people have that. I mean, I mean well, um, an example, Kyle, the Kyle Rittenhouse trial. You have people, and David, you've, you probably have run into this as well with technology and, and, and the clinical side of things, where you're in a trial, and, and Serena, you might have run into this as well. You're in a trial. We have footage Right? And, and the footage from, from the Rittenhouse stuff, they're going through frame by frame and see this and see that, but it's pixelated and it's digitized. And nobody in that courtroom understands the technology, what they're looking at. 
they don't know anything about point sampling. They don't know anything about, about how Photoshop, when you scale things up to a certain amount, it starts to fill in the picture. Nobody understands any of this technology. They're just trusting that it's reliable. And what happens when you get into a, a court situation, you get into a, a, a PR situation where the AI has you know, generated whatever it is that, that you've got that's causing a problem, there's no way to know that, you know, how, how can you, how can you tell where, where does the, you know, David, you go back to the, to the ethics of it. We're just trusting people and that's a dangerous place to be because how do you know? Yeah. If I could go back to a point that Serena made earlier about training, you know, in education, about yep. all this stuff, it really gets down to the core stuff. We need to be training people, children, starting off as kids, like just basic logic. You know, let, let's um, learn how to do logical thinking and questioning, um, and then let's be educated on how the media works, uh, how people are manipulated, how propaganda works, and also educating, I think, a bit more on the technology side. To, to your point, Jason, is that there's the technology itself, you, you have to kind of understand it to understand what the implications are of it, right? With, with AI and machine learning and, or any technology. Um, but I, I wanted to say this about all this. I don't think there's going to be any easy fix to the problems of our world regarding AI by any means. This is, we're in a process. We are in something. And I keep, uh, I'm a big fan of Strauss and Howe, like the fourth turning and all that stuff, you know? We really are in this, this turning, whether you, you believe what's in that book or not. We're, we're in a crisis right now, uh, in a bunch of different crises at once. Uh, I do have confidence that we will, and I, I'm hopeful, maybe it's faith, that we will kind of come out of this at some point and be wiser as a society in how we deal with all these existential things going on, but AI being one of the big ones, and that we can learn from this and actually have a better society. But I think if you look at, let me, let me just draw the, the parallels with science fiction. It's such a common theme in almost all sci-fi, right? 1984, if you want to call that sci-fi. Uh, Logan's Run, one of my favorite uh, books or, or movies of all time, right? So at age 30, everyone believes that you go to this room and you float up and you're, you know, you, you disappear, but you're basically being euthanized for the benefit of society, right? And then what happens is, is there's always someone who wakes up from it. They wake up from the illusion of those who are controlling others, using, manipulating them and and manipulating by the things that are very human about us, right? And that's what these social media companies are doing. That's what TikTok does. It's just, it's getting at our, our underlying psychology and manipulating people for some end. You know, sure, you're getting some entertainment from it, but really what you're doing is you're getting, you're giving them your data, they're hitting you with advertising. And so my point is, is that there has to be some kind of awakening, like in these science fiction novels and films, where people have to kind of break out from it, you know, and I kind yeah. of think, you know, Elon Musk with the Twitter thing was kind of like that, right? It's sort of like, okay, I'm, I'm going to make something happen here that's going to be a big revelation, and let's see how this kind of turns things. And at the end of the day, for me, I've been thinking a lot about this, is that I know for me, I don't like being treated like a little kid. I don't like those, what I mean is like a child. Like, yeah. I, I don't want who's governing me treat me like I'm an idiot, that I can't think for myself, that I need the Biden administration to be controlling what information I see or anyone else. You know, yeah, that, that's any ridiculous. government. I can think for myself. 
And I think we need to show a bit more respect for people that we can think for ourselves and that we have a duty back to Serena's point about education and training. To me, that's, that's a duty. It's like to inform people, you know, with, with real information, let them and, and train them how to think through things rather than just telling them what to think. I believe that since I was a kid, you know, yeah. I, I want to, I want to learn. That's why I went to college. Like, I want to learn how to think. Not what to think, right? Well, it's not just that. It's you know, it's not just the government trying to tell you what to think, but it's also the government monitoring your your actions. I mean, here's here's an article here: the UK is testing, uh, tracking citizens' habits, rewarding them for good behavior. This is AI driven. You know, you buy the right thing, you you walk a certain number of steps on your Fitbit per day, or you know this this goes back to that whole social credit system where. If you do the right things, if you behave properly, you'll get rewarded. You'll have privileges to travel or to you know get access to your bank. There, you know, let's talk to the people in Canada about what's going on up there. You know, and all of this could be AI driven as well. It's not just I'm feeding you. I'm feeding you information. I'm controlling your behavior now by limiting or restricting the access that you have to privileges. And not just not just on that side, but let's on the, on the creative side, you know, uh, you've got this this article here from Adweek talking about generative AI uh, could reach a tipping point in 2023. And Sylvia, that goes back to what you were talking about, where you know your creators are getting kind of pushed out of this whole space, and everything now becomes a manipulation it's not just the advertising it's not just the media stuff it's everything is being generated in order to manipulate someone to do something or or think something or feel something how do, yeah, how, I guess um, one thing I would say, kind of a little bit piggybacking on what David originally said about who's behind the black box I would ask what are the motivations of those people behind the black box and like, I know you um, have sort of said the government, but it's not really just the government. Like as a writer who writes cyberpunk, it feels to me that the corporations, you know, the people with money, um, the oligarchs, those are the ones who, you know, what are they, their motivations are power and wealth. And they use that to, you know, like, so so behind the social media, like the the, the owners of big social media, they're just trying to get as, you know, your information, your your money, you know, and the way to do that is getting engagement. The way to get engagement is to rile up, you know, both sides, get people, you know, and so the misinformation almost happens as a byproduct of, you know, the search for wealth and power, the people with wealth and power, you know, co-op the governments, right, on both sides through lobbying, through, you know, so, so it, it's, it's really like, you know, you have to keep going deeper and deeper. Like who's who's trying to pull the levers of this? Yeah. Um, so Mindy, you've got a question here. I do have a question because I know that Jason had mentioned that part of your background, David, is with psychology and so forth. And you've got the ethics. And as she just brought up, you have to look at not just, you know, what are they trying to gain from it with using the AI. I mean, there has to be a driving point somewhere. So one of the questions I had, I kind of thrown out in the chat because I know that with um, seeing therapists, a lot of times they want you to express yourself in ways to show what might be happening inside. Some people may turn to AI art, 
work because they think they're creating something that's within, which in reality, something else is creating something that, oh, yeah, that that feels kind of like what I'm feeling inside. It may or may not because it's not them actually producing it. Well, in the sense of who is driving what's their, what the material is coming from, you know, what's their stance behind it? What happens when you sit there and you have hypothetically, a, since it's been out in the news, a pharmaceutical company who, who, what? Um, who, you know, is trying to push a product or an illness or something like that. Who's to say that you have, you know, say a doctor or therapist who wants you to go ahead, you think you can do the AI to create this, but the search that the AI is using is not the true internet. I mean, at what point do they fake the internet to their own creation of images and articles and stuff to create a are you talking Illness about? Are you talking about patients? Are you talking about patients using AI generated art to present a false narrative? Are you talking about a doctor, di a or diagnostic, creating like a false library for an so innocent patient to use to create AI to explain what's going on so that they can push? <coughs> A narrative of an illness or a medication or so something this, like that. This AI when art says you're ADHD or a, this and AI they may art. not be, but it's going to push drug B over there that they want to do. No. I mean, when do we start manipulating? I mean, we have the truth fact or the truth, you know, the fact checkers and all that. Right. But what happens when they find a way to bypass that to create their own? database to make it what they want it to be david what do you think is that is there a question of the ethics there as far as the the use of ai for diagnostics and clinical stuff because we had harry Glor glorickian on here not too long ago talking about how ai could be all sorts of great things for for medical benefits and treatments and that kind of thing and i could see using them as tools to help but relying on them to generate to you know to to diagnose and to to do things like that there that's that's a slippery slope in and of itself isn't it absolutely in fact there's a an episode in my book behind a machine where there's uh, a scene where uh she goes into with her with her daughter the, the protagonist she's a young computer scientist and she goes in with her, her child and is basically ai saying she's got depression anxiety and therefore she's going to get this medication it's going to be sent directly to her house she has no say in it at all you know it's just you're just going to take it government says the system the machine and basically it's the what's behind the machine says you're going to take this you know and if you don't you're going to lose some rights over your child if you don't take it you know yeah so um I think it's a huge issue, and um, I actually wrote a paper in uh, an AMA journal recently about this, about machine paternalism, and how the, if we rely on AI to make these decisions that we're taking the physician out of the, the loop and we're taking the patient out, we're just we're going to be doing what the machine says in regards to patient care. My argument is that um, we can use the machines, the AI as a tool to help come up with decisions, to help, to help make decisions. But at the end of the day, we should have a person in a loop or a physician in a loop, they call it, that's really making the decision. And for me, it all comes down to core ethical and, and I'd say moral principles, you know. Um, and you can look at the morals from different different perspectives and angles, I get it. But there are these core ethical principles in medicine, for example, and I think they, they apply to other parts of society. 
that if we lose sight of those core things, then then we're in real trouble. And I think we've seen a lot of that happen, certainly during this pandemic period of things like one's own autonomy and decision making, um, one's own uh, consent to things and informed consent, for example. It's like, okay, if you're going to ask me to do, or you're going to essentially coerce me into doing something, well, you better, you better, um, provide me with uh, the information I need to make a decision here. Right. They withhold that information. I, I, I can't give informed, there's not informed consent. Um, and um, do no harm is really a principal one in medicine, right? And so if you lose sight of that, do no harm to others. Like if that's not your value, not to harm people, and you, you think that's acceptable to harm people, and that becomes a new norm, we're in big trouble. Right. So to me, at the end of the day, it's those core principles and those core things that would be what we should be teaching young people in school. Well, and and you you get into the psychology of this. This is a blog entry from Ruben Christopher Haynes. He's talking about the algorithm. And, you know, we've we've seen them all. We've seen all these quizzes and fill in the blanks and all these different things where where people are gathering all this information about you. But he writes here about the uncanny valley. And AI and and Sylvia, you talked a little bit about this with the with the art. <clears throat> you get into what the AI can make, and it's getting more realistic. It's getting more uh, to the point where you can't really tell: is that an AI generated thing, or is that a person generated this? Is that a real photograph, or is it something? And he's talking about because in the Uncanny Valley, we've we've intrinsic we have this 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 instinctive ability to to recognize something's not quite right about that picture. And as AI gets better and better about this, yes, the algorithm is getting programmed, the machine learning is getting programmed, but so are we. And Ruben is writing in here is not only not only is the algorithm learning, but the algorithm, the algorithm is manipulating us to accept more of what's not real. Yeah, and as to the point I made about art, like at some point there's going to be a vast majority of or a vast number of people who don't care, right? Who will be like, oh, I like this art. I'll pay for this art. And I don't care that this person has eight fingers because the rest of it looks really cool, you know. <laughs> right. But is that is that harmful though? You know, from a from a psychological standpoint. I mean, we we hear all the time about how social media is bad for everybody and it's a terrible thing. And you know, we've got this this study that says that social media could actually be changing kids' brains. And and AI could be right there in the in the heart of all of that changing not only how people think, you know, what they think, but how they think, how they reason, how they discern truth, how they research things. This is this how do we stop this or can we stop? Can what kind of limits should we put on AI? I mean, I think we're already way deep into it. You know what I mean? It's not like we're at the beginning of I mean, maybe a beginning of a huge change, but even like just speaking about art for instance, you know, I do digital art and so much of my art is assisted, right, by Photoshop. Like, or if you have a photo, you can click a button and I'll change the contrast for you. You can click another button and, you know, adds a filter, you know, and, you know, even, you know, when you post something that's heavily like filtered, has some sparkles or whatever, it's not stuff you literally did with your hand, right? It's just 
a series of buttons and then you decided, okay, this is a very cool look I'm going to post. Right. Um, and as a digital artist, you know, those, you'll, you know, if, if I collage something together digital, digitally like that, I'll say, well, this is my art because I, I, you know, made some decisions, but you know, how is that? That's like one step on the continuum of like, let me let, you know, the machine make more and more of my decisions and at the end, I'll just approve it. That's what some of the, you know, the people who propo are proponents of AI art say. They're like, well, I'm still, you know, giving the prompts. I'm still like deciding among the eight outputted versions, which one, you know, looks the best or whatever. Yeah. What about, what about in terms of, of stories? I mean, uh, we've got, we've got, uh, I think Clark's World Magazine uh, saying that they got flooded with submissions that were uh, that were generated by AI, and and the AI apparently was taking things, plagiarizing other stories, and they said, "Well, you know, this is not a good thing. We're going to shut this down. We're going to do this. This is uh, this is Business Insider, Fantasy and Science Fiction Magazine. Clark's World has stopped taking submissions after it was swarmed by AI written short stories. How, one." At some point, how are you going to know? Two, should this be allowed? If I if I do the prompt, if I sit there and say, okay, give me a story of a smuggler on Mars with a dog and uh, and a and a talking plant, and and just let it go, is that mine? Is that my work? Is that my creation? If I'm just giving it the prompt, right. And there are programs now that you can give an AI an outline and it'll fill it out. Sort of like, you know, if you're James Patterson and you give an outline to your ghostwriter and they <laughs> fill it out, right? Now we can all be James Patterson and, you know, well, fill out our own outlines. It makes me think about the monkey that took the picture and people are people had to argue who owns the copyright. Was it the photographer that owns the camera or... Was it the monkey? And there was an argument that was made in court that the monkey owned the copyright. And there were people that were, okay, well, we're going to act on behalf of the monkey and argue for the monkey's rights of owning copyright because the monkey is the one that actually pushed the button on the camera and took the picture. Right. Okay. Which raises the question of, you know, what, who makes art, right? right. Does it have to be humans or can it be humans plus, you know, a monkey or, you know, a computer? <laughs> Well, and if the if the computer generates the story, is 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 that one more step toward the computer being seen as sentient? I mean, I think we and you and I talked about this a little bit last time I was on, but I, we already have you know terms and rules for a lot of these things that are happening, and it's getting more sophisticated. But if you're talking about stealing other people's art or stealing other people's writing. Plagiarism already has rules in place that tell you it's wrong and why it's wrong. And the law has rules in place that tell you when something's criminal and those can be applied. If you're talking about um, intentionally doing wrong in medicine or, you know, intentionally harming something, there's something called Munchausen by proxy where you're creating you're, you're creating disease in somebody that doesn't exist and you're harming them by giving them medical treatment that they don't need. Yeah. That's already in place. The rules to control that are already in place. So I think things are getting more sophisticated, but we we already have a lot in place to deal with some of the things that we're talking about. And there are already things that we've been struggling with all along. Um, so, you know, I, I think 
like you, like you and I talked about last time, often we already have the tools in place to deal with things and now we just need to apply it to a new situation. We don't necessarily need an entirely new set of rules. But I do agree, um, I'm also a former attorney, that the laws do need to catch up a little bit on the current mm -hmm. facts. Because, for example, early on you were talking about, well, like people are now licensing their voices for, you know, all sorts of future uses. Well, right now artists can license all of their works away, but then it becomes much more expensive. You can't, like, expect to pay the same amount of money for using you know, your words once versus using it, you know, in perpetuity in different media. So the same idea would apply. Like if you're going to license your voice, you know, to be used for things and projects you don't know about, well, that price will have to, you know, be much higher. Right. You know? Right. Well, like actors who who signed away uh, their rights to a TV show and didn't make any of the any of the money on on the fact that it got replayed for the next 30 years. Right. So the the law usually lags behind, <laughs> usually has to catch up. And, and I agree with you. I, I think that that's true. But um, but let me you ask know, you, let me ask you this, Serena, in, in, in that particular case, though, you have lawyers are not lawyers. You have politicians. You have the people that make the laws who are in their 50s and 60s and 70s. And you know, we can make an argument for term limits at another point. But you have these people who are career politicians. All they know is write a law, make a make a rule, do this, negotiate whatever and thing, you know, lobbyist. And they have absolutely no idea about the technology that gets affected by the laws that they write. They don't understand any of this stuff. They might have somebody, some some 25-year-old aide in the office who could explain it to them like they were five, but they're not going to spend the time to learn this technology, to understand the implications of the technology so they can write a law that actually does some kind of, of thing that it's supposed to do. We're just going to write this thing based on what the lobbyists tell us, what the corporations tell us. What Mike? Okay, Microsoft told us it's this, so we're going to write this law to do that. Well, it's funny you should say that because there was just a, a Supreme Court case about about whether to hold search engines accountable for uh, when when things go up on the search engine that. Um, that amount to hate speech or incitement to violence and and when is or is not or is or is not those search engines accountable and the supreme court actually said you know you're talking to a bunch of people who are not technology experts you lawyers who are representing both sides of the argument need to explain it so you do you do need experts behind it and and there are also you know the law does usually lag but there are also um, I, you know, I don't want to go too far down a rabbit hole, but there are good reasons that laws shouldn't change too quickly or be too reactionary because often then you're making bad law. Yeah. Um, so there's a balance and it's, it's never going to be perfect. But yeah, as Serena said, our adversarial system in theory, like will present both sides and each side will provide the experts to educate the judges or the policymakers or the lawmakers. And if you're responsible policy lawmaker judge you would make the effort to you know teach yourself the the facts of the case <laughs> yeah uh, yeah i could okay I'll, I'll i'll let you i'll let you have that one so because there are there are some times where some things you know some laws get written and some some regulations get put into place 
that make absolutely no sense at all. But you look at it and you go, well, somebody had to do something stupid to prompt that. You know, it's like the, you know, putting the putting the warning on the coffee cups at McDonald's. This could be hot. Yeah, it's because some Yahoo spilled coffee in her lap and sued McDonald's because it was hot. Well, yeah, it's coffee. It's hot. Well, I mean, again, we go back to that whole lack of common sense thing where, you know, somebody says there ought to be a law and suddenly there's a law and the law makes absolutely no sense in a practical sense. Yeah, we could also start talking about the need for tort reform, but I think we'll lose your whole audience <laughs> if we do that. <laughs> maybe on the, maybe on the, on the, uh, maybe that's another thing that we can add to the political science channel if we decide to do that. We'll have, uh, we'll have, uh, we'll have tort reform stuff. So uh, that that'll be something we could do. Um, okay, so um, wh- what what's next? What do we see happening next out of all of this? Because we've got stuff from Spotify giving us a DJ to, you know, AIs flying Air Force jet fighters. I mean, there's this whole range of things that AI is doing. What's next on the landscape that you guys see is is the is the next threat, is the next danger, is the next really great benefit? What's coming, do you think? Well, I think the biggest threat right now is electromagnetic pulse. Maybe the one positive thing that can come from that is that it wipes out all technology. We're back to the Stone Age. And we could work this out better the next time. I'm being facetious, yeah. but not really, because I think that actually is our biggest threat right now uh, in the U.S. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, for me, and it's always been this way, is that I'm, you know, I'm a humanitarian. So I believe people first, you know, and let's look out for, for people and um we need to be at the table and all this, you know, the, they call it, you know, the stakeholders need to be at the table. Right. But um, we need to put people first. And I think we need to look at history too, and not forget history. And uh, don't assume that the government or the people in charge or people with money really have the best interest of everyday people. Just look at history. No. Right. And so um, I think we need the engagement and just back to what both Sylvia and Serena have said earlier about people need to be informed and they need to be part of these conversations. We need to have the conversations. They need to not be censored. And I think we need to start um, revisiting training young people on just using logic and, and recognizing propaganda and all these things, you know, developmentally appropriately as they, as they age and, and grade. But um, I think we've lost a lot of that. And we've seen way too much propaganda stuff getting into schools where people aren't thinking objectively so much anymore uh, from what I've observed and have heard. Um, but I think, again, keeping people first as the center and what's best for people and, and society in that sense of that we're all individuals that make up a society and we can draw from history and hopefully we can move towards a, um, an era of, uh, open communication and, and increases of freedom, not the opposite. Um, Serena, I think, oh, sorry. Oh, go, ahead. Go, go ahead. Sylvia. I know. I agree. I agree with the point about people first, but also I feel like we've one thing we've lost is the in-person people connection, because I think it's so easy online to to sort of like say anything, you know, be extreme and then, you know, skedaddle. But would you say that same thing to a person you disagreed with in person, you know, and you were, you know, in a room with them for an hour, you know, would you do that? And so I feel like 
we're already well past that, right? Obviously, we're even talking, you know, via, um, you know, like the videos, etc. But then the other thing also is like, you know, we we've really also lost the, the ability to agree on common like facts, right? And it's almost a matter of like, just like, you know, is the world round, right? Most <laughs> everybody believes the world is round but there is a strong you know minority who did who do not believe that and the inability to agree on a scientific fact like that is a problem and so you know that's like the basis for a lot of these big discussions going on um you know about climate change or about you know covid what's going on and a lot of times like science doesn't quite know yet right what the fact is right because in a new virus we're still learning but with the world being round, I think we've established that, you know what I mean? So in terms of like science, I think you just have to like accumulate data, accumulate scientific consensus to figure out well, what's going on. Then people can talk about well, what does that mean? What's the policy implications? Yeah, I mean, I agree with everything everyone said. And I, I think, you know, I wrote a whole book about this. Sylvia wrote a whole book about this with, you know, with with technology always comes pros and cons. And, you know, some of the pros are that we are going to have more information, for example, about ourselves. We're going to have more data and information read, readily available to us. You know, some downsides are that we're increasingly losing our privacy. And I, I think that that's going to continue. We're increasingly losing our autonomy. And I think that's going to continue. So I think the the best way for it to get better is for people to demand that it get better, for people to demand that there be good, accurate information for people to learn how to look for that and teach it should be taught in school. How do you, you know, how do you analyze information? How do you vet your sources? Um, and until we demand that, as long as we kind of feed this monster where we're gobbling up all this, you know, misinformation and we're kind of gobbling up everything on social media that's titillating, even if it's not, you know, even if it's even if it's not true, even if it's not good for us, um, it's it's going to continue. I I have to wonder if. I have to wonder if we are past the point of no return, where there is no recovery from this, where, you know, the the genie's already out of the bottle. We, there's no there's no putting it back, but there's no I, I I have to wonder if we're if we're past the point where we can control it because everybody's working at odds uh, with each other. Everybody has their own agendas and their own uh, goals to to get things done and to put other people in their place. I and and maybe I'm being a little pessimistic. Maybe I'm being a little jaded, but I I don't see anything good coming from the use of AI um, with with any with any regularity. I think maybe there's some limited some limited places where AI is beneficial, but for the most part, I think we're I think we're in a danger zone right now. I think we're in a kill box. Um, and I don't think it's going to get any better, especially considering all of the other stuff that's going on around the world. You know, people trying to, to manipulate us into doing things and behaving a certain way and believing a certain thing. And, and you can't trust your neighbor and, and, and all of this. We're, we're, I, I think, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't want to get 
too blackpilled, but I, I I think we're I think we're down in a hole, and I don't think we're getting out of it. So, but that's well, I'm just a me. children's author, so I think I have to take a more optimistic view. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well let's uh, let's give you the last word, then Sylvia. That'll be that'll be the last word. We'll t- we'll take the optimistic view. Uh, okay, so let's uh, let's go around. Sylvia can be found at the website enjoyingplanetearth.com. The link is in our show notes. Sylvia, what have you got coming up uh, for people to, to know about what's going on with your projects? Um, and stuff? Well, I have another um, one of my other books is a, a book about um, it's called Manatee's Best Friend. It's an environmental story. And I have another one from Scholastic in that vein coming out next uh, year about uh, forests and deers and dogs and so <laughs> all right and serena can be found at serenastrauss.com her book reinception we posted a review on it uh, a while back what's coming up next for you so uh reinception is a trilogy so i'm working for the on the second book in that series and um as i mentioned i'm going to have a ya alien invasion uh, novel coming out. Um, so um, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, details to follow. And I will be at NorwestCon in April. So anybody who's in, in the Pacific Northwest and wants to come check it out and come say hi, I will be there. You know what I'm curious about is if there's somebody out there working on a story. This this is Here's a story prompt for somebody who, who who's got more time than I do. Uh, let's combine alien invasion with wag the dog. So <laughs> the AI decides, I'm going to do a little thought experiment. What happens if this happens, this happens, and the AI gives us the scenario that we're being invaded by by aliens? We're not really, but the AI has manipulated the media, has manipulated the politicians, and now there's panic in the streets. Kind of, uh, kind of War of the Worlds or Orson Welles style uh, from back in in the nineteen thirties. What, what kind of who, who wants to take that story on? <laughs> or war games, if you want to look at the eighties. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> same kind of thing. All right, David, uh, your website, davidluxton.com. What have you What have you got in the works? Yeah, well, I've been doing a lot of work more recently on just AI and ethics stuff. Um, I'm going to be speaking at Stanford at this Existential Threats Conference here in in April, uh, focused on AI, the psychological impacts of the latest developments in AI, like ChatGPT. Uh, Hopefully, we'll be presenting later in the year at uh, MIT at a conference uh, regarding uh, same kind of stuff, some AI, uh, affective computing stuff, emotional manipulation in, in mobile apps and things and social media, et cetera. And uh, I have been working on some stuff around uh, the, the fourth turning stuff regarding this kind of uh, crisis that America is in. And um, it's just, it's ha- I think it's happening so fast in such real time. Like by the time you get something published, it's like, wow, look what's happened now, right? Yeah. Uh, but the next thing for me, though, will be, uh, I'm going to do a, a sequel to The Goldilocks Zone. And on uh, that book, I'm really exploring um, kind of what, how do you get through this kind of mass formation psychosis and the, the whole novel, the original novel, is really just about how do you make sense of reality objectively when you have all this information coming at you and your own experience and being aware of your own biases and everything. And I think it needs to be resolved. I, as a writer, like I need to resolve this issue myself and hopefully come to some kind of uh, solution that's that's the best for, for humanity and, and the next generation. All right. Well, the links to those sites, as well as everybody's Twitter accounts, are in our notes. And what's coming up for us 
tonight we've got a discussion of the latest episode of The Bad Batch and some Lucasfilm drama. We're going to be talking about In the Ranker Pit tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 Central. And then uh, coming up on Friday, uh, no, wait, uh, tomorrow. Where is it? Uh, I lost the picture. Uh, here we go. <laughs> and tomorrow, tomorrow, open line Friday uh, here on the program. So join us for that. And, uh, of course, we've got all sorts of different uh, different shows that you can enjoy uh, as part of the lineup here on Sci-Fi For Me TV. Thank you very much to our panel. Sylvia Liu, welcome. Good to have you for the very first time. You've survived, and it uh, and it and you and you're still smiling. So there we go. <laughs> Serena Strauss, thanks for being here again. David, always good to have you back. And we will be talking with David about some UFO stuff on Blast from the Bunker on March 1st. So tune in for that. We'll we'll look for that. And you can find us on all the sorts of different social media sites. Even though I decry it every day. Uh, various different video platforms. There's the Discord server. You can connect with us there and uh, continue the conversation as we go through this. In the meantime, remember the, a couple of things, folks. The, you you have more control than you realize. It's your money. It's your vote. Do your best to get your homework and 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 find the truth as best you can find. And remember the. The politicians hate you. The media lies to you. And there are four lights. This has been a presentation of SciFiForMe.com. Copyright 2023 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media. You're listening to Sci-Fi For Me Radio. 